The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. This is part two of the two part episode that I did with Matt Kelly, the Fantasy Mansion, the Podfather, Roto Underworld King. Uh, if you guys liked the first part of the podcast, I bet you're probably back here for the second part of the podcast. We cover many topics rookie drafts, dynasty fantasy football. Who are the most valuable players in fantasy football? Antonio Brown. Every subject you would ever want to hear me and the Podfather talk about is covered in this podcast. We are, of course, sponsored by DailyRoto.com and RotoExperts.com. You can get 10% off of those products using the promo code Rory and using the promo code Matic, respectively. Of course, if you want bonus episodes of the show, more episodes, you can find them on Patreon.com slash TakeCast, and we will always appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, So something that I've noticed, and this goes along with our earlier conversation about how fantasy football Twitter has changed, is that the the film-based analysis, you know, sort of ignoring opportunity, ignoring uh, context is really, I think it's really kind of dying, right? Like, Like that sort of film only analysis. I don't even know if there's much of a market for it anymore, but I have noticed a lot of bad statistical analysis, just sort of drawing on trends that don't have much of a meaning or things that, uh, you know, that don't really impact the outcome of how football games are played. Have you noticed a similar trend? And what actually, an even better question, what do you think fantasy football Twitter gets wrong the most? Well, just look at my show. Three years ago, we primarily were attacking film grinders and criticizing the film-based analysis. Our shows now we're more likely to criticize stats-based and metrics-based analysis because the pendulum has swung too far to the other side, right? Just like you said, the, 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 the film grinder is dying, right? That, the, the, the rust belt of the United States is where the film grinders are and you know, all the metrics people are in the cities and that's where the growth is. But like with anything, it's just like with television shows now. The best 5% of television shows, the, 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 the top percentile shows, are the best they've ever been, right? And the bottom percentile is worse than it's ever been because it's so much easier to put shows out there in the world. Well, the same is true with stats-based analysis. You have correlation equals causation problems all over the place where you have uh, analysts falling into correlation traps nonstop. It's most egregious with the coach analysis. The coach-centric analysis is a plague. And I, I, I don't see stats-based analysts, metrics-based analysts doing much to, to thwart that movement. Uh, they're, they're still jumping right in with the coach takes, and, and that's disheartening to me. But I've also seen this sort of weaponization 
of metrics to stake out positions on the extremes and then just rain down shots. And I don't agree with that either because of that, again, that strips out the nuance. You know, you know, this position doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Defenses don't matter. And it's like, okay, I get you, you want to be provocative to prove a point and to maximize eyeballs and traffic and the, and the consumption of your concept. Understood, you're being provocative. I'm Fantasy Mansion, right? Of course, this is my brand, the provocateur. But there's a danger in just going all the way out into the extreme and you lose some credibility when you do that. It's, it's, it's tricky uh, and it, it, it hurts the whole community. It hurts the whole um, metrics-based analysis ecosystem where you have, you know, X, Y, and Z don't matter. So whenever I see X doesn't matter, I'm I, still, I team, I'm still team running backs don't matter. I recoil a little bit because, you know, the quality of a running back does matter. It just doesn't matter very much. It's marginal. Yeah, it's like right? 2% maybe. Right. So, it, well, to me, that, that nuance matters. The 2% versus 0% is what matters. But, you know, there's enough non-believers. There's enough – the thing with football is – that we're so far behind baseball and yeah. basketball in terms of metrics. In it's terms crazy of, how far we are yeah, behind. The sophistication of the analysis, right? Where it's still like, if you want to build a case against using QB wins as a way of analyzing quarterbacks, like there's still plenty of room. There's still plenty of converts out there. If you want to take that evangelical posture, it's just that, it, it grinds on me personally because I'm over it, but I, but like you and I, I think we're just we're a little bit on the bleeding edge. So while we're over it, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you're like someone who's writing an article about the um the uh, the disposable nature of the running back position. While I would read it and say, "Oh, you're you're preaching to the converted." Meanwhile, ninety percent of football fans don't understand those concepts, so they still have great value. So that, that's a blind spot that I have where I'm a bit too dismissive of some of those things that I believe are plowed ground when really I, I need to always remind myself that football still has a long way to go until advanced metrics are part of the, the casual lexicon. We're, we're certainly not there yet. Um, but I also believe that the, the, the full and outright dismissal of film grinding is misguided as well. I think that there are places and specific players and situations where I want that additional context, even though I understand it's subjective gibberish. Lard, the vast majority of film-based analysis is just subjective gibberish. Film grinders are the psychic friends network of our industry. Again, to me, that's plowed ground by now, but I'm not dismissing them either. I think that's anti-Bayesian. What Bayesians want to do, and I try to you know, t take a, a Bayesian approach to processing information, is to always be open to new information coming in. And sometimes with certain players, especially those that miss a lot of time with injuries or are in situations where they could be propped up or really suppressed by their supporting cast or external forces, then the 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 feedback of the film grinders is valuable and also because nfl teams employ film grinders it's important to get their perspectives so then it gives you a better window into nfl team preferences 
it's i mean i guess that actually that is the point i would agree with most is that knowing what film grinders like and knowing what they like to see on film gives a lot of clues as to how nfl teams will make decisions like we're seeing this with josh jacobs right now josh jacobs i would love to have josh jacobs outside our top five yeah. of rookie running back rankings but you, but you can't, can't. Yeah, because he's going to get drafted. He's going to get drafted time. high. He's going to get 200 carries this year, like yeah. it or not. Yeah, it's it's a it's a total bummer because I don't like him at all. Like his his profile would be like sixth round draft pick to me if I was making decisions for NFL teams. But he's going to be a fantasy asset for the next four plus years because he's going to be drafted so high. Here's where I would disagree with you. If we're talking about a wide receiver. We're in lockstep. I think that I, I feel confident in my ability to state flatly, this wide receiver is not a professional. He is going to have a terrific career in the CFL, but he's not an NFL player long-term. I would say that about Riley Ridley, for example. I am confident Riley Ridley will bust in the NFL. Just like I am supremely confident that Keneal Harry, Nikhil Harry, will be great. So, Nikhil yeah. Harry, great. Riley Ridley, bad. I'm confident. Running backs? Eh, there's a lot more room. There's a lot of leeway. Yeah. Right? Arian Foster happened. A lot of run- uh, So, it's, it's, it's where there have been running backs that have exceeded all expectations in the NFL, and you really didn't see it coming. And on the other end, there have been running backs that have flamed out that I was sure would be good. So it, 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 it's partly because with a running back, there's such – because running back doesn't matter, and, and by running back doesn't matter, because it's such a marginal – the running back's ability is such a marginal input factor in the quality of an offense or the offense's potential to matriculate the ball downfield and score points because right. it is so interdependent on the – situation the down and distance the quarterback play the offensive line they are much more a cog in a wheel than a quarterback or a wide receiver or a tight end that have to win these individual battles in order to succeed with a running back you can just go out there and get what's blocked and fool a lot of people for years so you have running backs that have been riding draft capital for years, Todd Gurley and still out here commit right, sure, commanding opportunity. <laughs> I think Todd Gurley's good. I mean, sure running. he's sure he's good for running back. He's I think not like I'll, I'll say that, but I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Uh, but and then there are also running backs that I believe are potentially great, but we will never know because they didn't get the draft capital and they were never given that opportunity to show what they can do. How? Think about Damian Williams. He's age 26. Most running backs have been flushed out of the league by age 26, and some of them are running backs that can play. It's just that when the musical chairs music stopped, they didn't have a team. And that was all they just yeah. that was it. I mean, think of think of the extraordinary circumstances that had to go into Williams playing. Hunt had to be suspended, and then Ware had to get hurt, and then the other Williams on the roster had to be not quite as good. That's right. That, that, that's the sort of sliding doors of the NFL where if you're a wide receiver, eventually there will be no doubt and nothing can hold you back. 
with a running back, I fundamentally believe there are running backs that are sitting at home that logged 120 yards in the NFL, and they know that in a different situation, they could have been great. They could have been great. And I don't doubt that for a minute. And that's not that's true about why running back is just, that's why I try to be more humble with my running back analysis than I do wide receivers, knowing that history of the position and, and how it is so much more driven by the external forces and the supporting cast. And the other thing, and if, that's why if, if you're trying to understand why running back is a, a relatively trivial position for an NFL team, it's that not only are they super dependent on all the players around them executing in order to succeed, they're succeeding in the run game. And the run game is not nearly as effective in the pass, as the passing game. So you're offering, your talent is offering a marginal added value to an aspect of the game that is less effective than the passing game, which is where the focus of a team should be. So if you invest any draft capital in the running back position at all, you're doing your team a disservice as a general manager because you're devoting focus, resources, salary to a aspect of the game, the running game, that where you should be working tirelessly to throttle back on its importance internally and and, and move the focus as much as possible to the passing game. So you're really it really speaks to how bad of a draft pick the Saquon Barkley pick was when you have Sam Darnold on the board to go Saquon Barkley, and now you have to pay Saquon Barkley as a top five running back out of the box, and then you're obliged to extend him because you invested a second overall pick on him and further debilitate your, 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 your cap situation um, and, and crowd out cap room from other players, more valuable players that focus on, you know, helping you win in the passing game. That's my, well, now, we, now we have to talk giants. We have well, that's, talk. well, that's just my explanation for why uh, if, if, if someone, when I am asked at a party, why running back doesn't matter. That's how I explain it. This is my, this is my favorite topic right now is just dunking on Dave Gettleman. I think that he is perhaps you know, this last 18 months is perhaps the worst sequence of events that an NFL GM has ever had. And I think that Mara might be one of the worst owners in the NFL now. And the main thing is, is I don't really understand how it's possible, how a team with all these resources could make decisions this poorly in the year 2018 and 2019. Talk about a brand, right? The Giants brand, one of the best brands. That's a strong brand. Right, that's right up there with Manchester United, right? To squander that brand. I mean, it's not the Jets, right? It's the Giants, man. It's the Giants. That's the premium franchise in New York. So the, the, the fact that they're squandering that is, is heartbreaking on a lot of levels, just from a brand management standpoint, right? And I did a podcast with Evan Silva titled The Big Blue Bubble Boy. And it was a podcast where we started the podcast intending to talk about Dave Gettleman and we ended up spending more time talking about John Mara because it really does start at the top with football. It starts at the top of the organization and you can trace a lot of and bad he made decisions. The decision to hire Gettleman knowing what he knew about Gettleman. 
Well, that's right, because Gettleman had worked for the Giants in the past. So he was, it was almost like an internal hire. It was almost like Gettleman got promoted. Like he had this stop in Carolina, but he came back home to the New York Giants. And I think that Dave Gettleman may be receiving, and it's strange to say this, too much criticism at this point because I think the pendulum has, again, swung way to the other end, the other side, where now New York media is lining up against him. The fans are lining up against him. And he's very bad. I, mean, I think that's, it. like again, that this is a solved equation, that Dave Gettleman's bad, right? There's just a right. chance that he's only a figurehead. There's a chance that he's only there because he took the job knowing he would be doing the bidding of John Mayer, that he's a, he's a meddlesome owner behind the scenes, right? So the clever meddlesome owner doesn't let the world know how meddlesome he or she is, right? But when you look at Dave Gettleman's track record, I mean, he's been known to bid against himself on no-name supplemental draft picks, and then, you know, you have to forfeit picks in the future when you do that. Right. Just like he has a, a, no understanding of how the supplemental draft pick, uh, or the compensatory, excuse me, the compensatory, the compensatory draft pick system works so they will sign an irrelevant player and unknowingly uh, forfeit a future compensatory pick you see this happen with a lot of nfl organizations it's not just the giants Uh, and then also you see these illogical moves where he's trading up for a kicker it's just there doesn't seem to be an understanding of the positional value hierarchy. And that's the first thing that Sashi Brown established when he went to Cleveland was a positional value hierarchy where you have the quarterback at the top and you have edge rusher and you have left tackle and you have cornerback and it just goes down the list of what positions are the most valuable. And that means everything. When you understand that a quarterback is 10x or whatever x more valuable to your franchise than a running back if if you are seeing positions and you're evaluating players to that prism you would never draft Saquon Barkley that blunder would never happen you would have Sam Darnold and the and the organization would be uh, you know pointed at this ascending vector as opposed to this descending vector which they're on now it all hinged on that one pick I mean, there are very few picks in the history of the NFL draft that have like determined the direction of an organization. But once you make that decision, you're basically committing yourself to this 38-year-old decrepit breaking down quarterback. Because I think they, I think they're already pot committed to not taking a quarterback this year in the draft, they're which is pot hilarious. Committed, yes, they're yeah. pot committed. I love the Davisisms. I'm on the take cast for pot committed. I mean. Like I just, I just don't see a way out of this organizational loyalty to Eli at this point, given all that they've said. I think everything that they've broadcast suggests they're not taking Haskins. They're not going to trade up for Kyler. And, I mean, maybe they take Drew Locke. Maybe. But probably not. The rumors I've heard are Daniel Jones, that they like Daniel Jones. They visited with Daniel Jones from Duke. And Daniel Jones isn't good. There's only one other quarterback besides Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins that has a chance to be good, and that's Will Greer. And the fact that the Giants aren't talking to Will Greer tells you everything you need to know. I like Will Greer. Of course, Will Greer has a chance to be good. good. Yeah, I don't think Daniel Jones has much of a chance to be good at all. Well, here's the thing. When you see teams with multiple productive wide receivers and – 
multiple receivers. Let's just say a team has multiple receivers drafted, like West Virginia. There's going to be two wide receivers drafted. You have Gary Jennings, and you have David Crosby, Sills, and Nash. I like, I like I, Sills. As I like to say. Yeah. So why? Were those receivers propping up that quarterback? Maybe. Were the receivers or was the quarterback propping up the receivers? I don't know. I tend to believe that Will Greer was propping up the quarterback, the, the wide receivers in West Virginia. But on the flip side, I also tend to believe, and, I, and I'm not talking about 100 0, okay? This isn't a hot take. I'm just saying 60 40. If you're allocating credit arbitrarily, I'm going to give more to Will Greer. Yeah. Just like at Ohio State, I'm going to give more to the skill position guys. I think that Dwayne Haskins benefited greatly from having three wide receivers that are NFL-ready on the roster last season. I mean, we saw that with uh, Mettenberger. Mettenberger got drafted because he was throwing to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, and it turns out Zach Mettenberger's horrible. This is it definitely is the, a corollary that we Zach, see. It is the Zach Mettenberger corollary. You just nailed it. That's the other reason I'm on this show. New corollaries. New corollaries. Um, you, ready? you ready to debate? You ready to get into it? Born ready. Top five players in the NFL in terms of value, including contract and age. I have my list. It is Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, Smith Schuster, Aaron Donald, and George Kittle. So I agree with you on Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. I would simply have the the top five quarterbacks. That would be mine because I think that when you look at positional value, it, it, they dwarf the other, but if you're was, looking well, at other contract, the, the, the rookie, the, those on rookie contracts. So as much as I lament Carson Wentz because he was not a strong prospect and I was wrong about Carson Wentz three years ago, he's still incredibly valuable as long as he's on a rookie contract. So anytime you have productive and efficient rookies on rookie contracts. So for example, I would argue Sam Darnold's on that list. Because I am sure, I mean, I am so certain that Sam Darnold is going to be a quality NFL player at the quarterback position, which is so valuable, Davis. It is so valuable. On a rookie deal, it's so valuable. He was the youngest starting quarterback in the history of the league, and he had the best QBR in the month of December. Should I say that again? He was the youngest starting quarterback in league history, and he had the best QBR in the month of December with that receiving core. It's pretty, it's pretty it. damning. It's pretty damning for the Darnold haters that he played so well towards the end of the season and that he's getting all these snaps in at such a young age. Like, I think Baker is two years older than him. Yes, he is excellent, and the Jets are in terrific hands, and the Jets will be better for the foreseeable future than the Giants because of that decision point by Dave Gettleman slash John Mara that hinged the organization, right? It really was the, the it, it pointed the turret either up in the air or down into the ground. I mean, that's how important that decision point was, and they failed. The, the one player I would remove from your top five would be Juju Smith-Schuster because I fundamentally believe that perimeter players, and that includes all cornerbacks, all safeties, all running backs, pretty much anyone that's not right there at the line of scrimmage, yeah, including with quarterback included, they are more ancillary pieces, 
And I would go back to the the list, the prioritized list of positions from Sashi Brown. And I noticed that wide receiver was lower on that list than I first expected. So my expectation was, okay, certainly all the assets that are critical to the passing game are going to bubble up to the top. That makes sense. But then I saw wide receiver was down. And then I realized, well, they aren't involved in that many plays in the course of a game. So they're not as important because they're on the perimeter. And you want to win at the point of attack. And if you're not winning at the point of attack, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna win football games. I mean, that's what the Patriots did, right? They found a way with no name defenders and t- stitching together what was you know an offensive line that was better than the sum of its parts. Trent Brown, they they got for nothing and they right. rehabilitated his career. But in that game against Aaron Donald and against Indomitian Sue. They weren't giving up pressure, and that's the reason why the Patriots won. So I think that was what was driving Sashi Brown's priority list, and that's why you couldn't have Juju Smith-Schuster on this list. As, as great as Juju Smith-Schuster is, he's a top three wide receiver in Dynasty. My counterpoint I, to that would be the value of having an elite wide receiver who can play left, right, slot, who can add yards after the catch, who can be your red zone guy, who can be your between-the-20s guy – I think having all of that on a rookie deal at 22, I, I just think like his, like if you look at his like comparables at like age 22, it's like Josh Gordon and Randy Moss. Those are like the guys, those are like the guys who have put up, those are like the guys who've put up stats by the age of 22, similar to Smith Schuster. Moss had way more touchdowns, but obviously, uh, you know, Antonio Brown stole all of Smith Schuster's touchdowns that he would have gotten had Antonio Brown not been there. Well, you're wrong. It's just you're wrong based on the positional value matrix that we talked about earlier. If you're if you're putting these positions in tiers, and you're so so, where does wide receiver fall in the tier for you in terms of positional importance? It would be seventh or eighth. So you'd rather think, have whatever elite edge rusher, whatever elite yes. left tackle, well, even cornerback, even cornerback. I'd rather have the, the I, I would invest in cornerback. And you've seen this time and time again, that the addition of a cornerstone cornerback to anchor that secondary has revolutionized defenses. I mean, look yeah. at the New Orleans Saints post Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, it's striking how a, Casey Hayward with the Chargers, you've seen how you drop a a cornerstone cornerback because that changes the whole defensive scheme. Now I can post up this corner on the opposing team's number one, and I can shade everyone else to take away everyone else in the passing game. It's a game changer. It's why the one player not named Brady that the Patriots ever decided to pay any money for was Darrell Revis. It's true. For that reason, I would probably put a cornerback on here before I'd put a wide receiver. But I want to talk about George Kittle because I think this is a great insight that you had is putting a tight end on here, which rarely would you see a tight end on a top five list. But the tight end position, I believe, is the most underrated position in sports because when you think about what they do, they're involved in every play. Every play. Blocking edge rushers. They're operating in the the, the most havoc-filled area of the football field. They're taking huge collisions. That's why they're the most injury-prone of the positions. They're the most fragile because they take hits every snap and sometimes brutally violent high-velocity hits. But those that are successful 
can revolutionize an offense. I mean, look at Tom Brady with and without Rob Gronkowski. And I don't want to just go out to the extreme, the best tight end ever by far and away, Rob Gronkowski. A quality tight end changes an offense in a way that I think a wide receiver doesn't. I, I just think that they, when you, if you're a tight end, right, and you are in contract negotiations and you are creating a list for your agent, hey, here are all the things I bring to the table for this team. Pay me. So I would put like an O.J. Howard on there. I think O.J. Howard, because of his youth and his rookie contract, is incredibly valuable. But George Kittle, even more valuable because his contract is so much less. I mean, I would have had Kelsey over him, but he's younger and he's making less money. And he does not – people forget this about Kelsey. He did not play as a rookie because his knee had to get reconstructed. That's right. Travis Kelsey is up – I don't know – I should have said Kelsey before. I'm sorry. I want to apologize to Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey's family. I was listing Rob Gronkowski, the top tight ends. I even mentioned O.J. Howard before Travis Kelsey. So everyone in the Kelsey family affiliated with Travis Kelsey in any way, I apologize. I mean, He's Kelsey amazing. is uh, Kelsey He's so is, sexy. He's sexy, he man. Tight he ends are better. sexy. He's better than Kittle, but for like just like contract value purposes, Kittle is a little bit more valuable, I think. For whatever reason, I know I've committed to memory. I have a lot of dynasty teams. The ones that have Kelsey, I know. I, I always, for some reason, if, yeah, I mean, if he's, I have, he's the best. If he's I the have best. Kelsey I've actually in the dynasty him. team, I, 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 I just feel so much better about it. He, he, it's, it's a very comforting feeling having Travis Kelsey. You've met him? Yeah, I've met him. Is he well, cool in real life? Because he looks cool. He, I was at, uh, I was out to dinner at this really nice Italian place in Kansas city. And he sat down at a table, like two tables over for me. And I was there with my girlfriend and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Travis Kelsey. And I kind of looked for a minute and I waited and I saw someone else go up and get a picture with him. And I was like, all right, I got to go up and talk to him before he gets his food. Right. Cause you don't want to interrupt someone when they're eating. That's just poor form. And I went up to go talk to him and he told me that he recognized me. Stop it. And he recognized me from a Twitter Photoshop that David Kitchen had made of us making out. Get out. It's a real thing that happened. Yeah. And we Social ch- I mean, media wins again, man. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. So I got to, got to chat with Kelsey for a little bit. He follows me on Twitter too. Him and Janice. Dude, I'm so jealous. God, yeah. I'm so jealous. He did not respond to my DM when I asked him to come on the show, though. Well, I think that's understandable. I think that's fair from his perspective. That's absolutely fair. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I mean, who really wants to come on a podcast when you're a millionaire? Well, I would. (laughs) I just want to get takes. Sure, I still would. Yeah, I just want to get takes off. Wait, there's a microphone where you're recording and I can give takes? And I can just talk to it? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to let me talk? All right, next thing, DK Metcalf and Hakeem Butler. We have disagreements on one of these guys. Yeah, yeah. DK Metcalf, Hakeem Butler, they have impressive metrics on their face, and this happens to me all the time. I am characterized as an athleticism snob, and I'm not. But I have to admit, I mean, I, I was more of an athleticism snob three years ago than I am now. But over the years, I have slowly appreciated when athleticism matters, how it matters. And, and, and I am more conscientious about not overvaluing it in certain situations. And I'm worried that in the case of DK Metcalf, in the case of Hakeem Butler, 
that the athleticism, the wingspan, the physical traits, right, the measurables are being overvalued and that a lack of production at the college level is being undervalued. Because when you hear Mike Leach interviewed at the MIT Sloan Conference, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, he says this, if you can do it in high school, if you can do it in college, well, you can probably do it in the pros. Like, he's just very simple, right? But in folksy, but it's true. It is. I want to see college dominance. And with wide receivers in particular, I want to see early dominance, age-adjusted dominance, Juju Smith-Schuster early dominance. And my cheat code, if I have to look at one number, right? And this happens all the time. Oh, I'm only going to look at one number, right? You must only look at one number. All you care about is breakout age and college dominator and speed score. Well, I have other breakout ages and college dominators and speed scores and Hakeem Butler's in the upper percentile across the board. He must be great. You must love Hakeem Butler. Well, first of all, evaluating prospects and NFL players in general requires more than just sorting a spreadsheet with three fucking columns, okay? And with Hakeem Butler, he was not productive as a freshman. In fact, he redshirted, which is a red flag. Yeah. To me, that, that, that is a, a real indictment that you couldn't even see the field for Iowa State. And this isn't Ohio State. I, sometimes I feel like there's this confusion between Iowa State and Ohio State. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't redshirt at Ohio State. It was Iowa State, the Cyclones. He couldn't see the field. They saw no value in having him play. And then when he played as a sophomore, or in this case, a redshirt freshman, only 134 yards. So this guy was a developmental player in college, and then he broke out. He did, he did catch a touchdown four. on his first reception at Iowa State. I mean, congratulations for catching a touchdown on your first reception at, Ohio, at Iowa State, Hakeem Butler. But my worry is I've seen this story before. I saw this story play out with Devontae Parker. I saw the same story play out with Josh Doxson, where – these were developmental prospects with incredible size-adjusted athleticism who took three-plus years to find their footing at the college level, and then they were drafted in the middle first round and busted at the NFL level. So this is my concern with Hakeem Butler, that he wasn't more dominant earlier. And I have the same concerns with DK Metcalf. And the idea that DK Metcalf is better than A.J. Brown is a falsehood because he's not. Go back to the cheat code. to Just look at the sophomore season. Look at the, the Juju Smith-Schuster breakout season, that sophomore year that told us everything we needed to know about Juju Smith-Schuster. What did it tell us about A.J. Brown? In his true sophomore season, when Hakeem Butler was logging a whole 134 yards, what was A.J. Brown doing? Oh, I don't know, Davis. He was smashing. 75 catches, over 1,200 yards, and 11 touchdowns as a true sophomore? Yeah, Brown is a way better prospect. Metcalf, to me, has like, he has like Riley Ridley level production. It's crazy. When you compare their sophomore seasons, A.J. Brown blows away D.K. Metcalf. I don't care about the speed score. As long as you meet a threshold of athleticism, which A.J. Brown absolutely meets, he has above-average size-adjusted athleticism across the board. Once I saw that, I said, this is a top-three receiver in this class. And it really depends on where he goes because there is a scenario in which 
Nikhil Harry goes to a bad team with a bad quarterback, and A.J. Brown lands in a best-case situation. So let's say early in the second round, A.J. Brown gets drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. And in week one, he's installed as Jimmy Garoppolo's number one because he is an alpha, right? He shits Dante Pettis-sized shits in his toilet, okay? So get out of here with Dante Pettis. Okay, the, the, the moment, the, the instant that Dante Pettis looks up at his locker and sees A.J. Brown walking through that door, Dante Pettis knows he's the number one. Okay, and so the idea that anyone in that scenario would have anyone other than A.J. Brown ranked as their number one rookie wide receiver it's would wrong. be flat wrong. It would yeah. be wrong in that situation. Now, it only becomes a conversation if Nikhil Harry goes somewhere bad because Nikhil Harry's profile is even more impressive. But for me, it's these two guys, and then it's a tier to whoever else you have at three, four, five, six. I think like I will end up being shamed into putting Metcalf higher than I want to because of like the Josh Jacobs thing where he's going to get a bunch of opportunity because he's going to be drafted highly. But if Metcalf was like uh like if Metcalf went to school with Jazz Ferguson <laughs> and he and he was as like and he was as as athletic as he was, I, I don't even know like I don't even know if he would be a draft. He had like nine hundred yards at Ole Miss. Well, Metcalf and Jazz Ferguson are closely comparable. When you look at both their production metrics and their workout metrics, it's just that Jazz Ferguson went to a small school and DK Metcalf was anointed the next guy. Here, this is one of the, the problems I have with Dynasty. Well, it's not a problem. It's exploitable. Is that you have these Debbie leagues where DK Metcalf was the number one pick for three years. Yeah. So there's all this expectation and confirmation bias that you see around DK Metcalf that is going to prop him up throughout the process. And in rookie drafts. So it's a great source of, of edge for the dynasty leaguer that you can just ignore DK Metcalf knowing that there's all of this confirmation bias around him. And then you can let AJ Brown fall to you at slot four, five, six in a rookie draft. And that's how you win. That's how you win, folks. All right. We're going to break this off now and we're going to go do some more football talk on the Roto Experts Fantasy Football Show. But if you don't want to go listen to that, uh, Matt, this is your chance to, to pimp Player Profiler in Roto Underworld. Go to iTunes or wherever you get podcasts, search Roto Underworld Radio, and I do something similar to what I've just done with Davis, although not quite as good because I was on my A-plus game and it's, it's difficult to find a... Uh, a podcast mate better than Davis, but I try my best uh, on the show and playerprofiler.com is where we bring all these metrics that we talked about today and a lot more together so that you can analyze these players for yourselves. You, we are you know, teaching you how to fish. Now you have the fishing pole. You can go out and, and, and start, start casting and drafting AJ Brown in your dynasty rookie draft. You're welcome. You're welcome folks.